Welcome back to the What's Your More podcast. I'm your host, Quentin Harris, and this is the day before Thanksgiving that we're doing this podcast um, and releasing it here. And I just want to wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving and to give thanks on this podcast and say, we couldn't be where we are without our audience and we couldn't be where we are without your feedback. I'm so appreciative of everyone that has left all the comments and all the reviews on Apple. And because of what you've done, we are now the number one self-improvement podcast in Jacksonville, Florida. And we can say that because of our audience and our help. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, all you got to do is go to Apple. Specifically in this case, go to Apple. We'd love you to go anywhere else on our platforms as well. But this one's real important. Five-star review us and leave a comment. It literally takes about three minutes to do it. And Charlie is going to post a quick video in our YouTube channel to show you how to do that, as well as on our website so you can take advantage of that. But to the people that did, I can't thank you enough. Comments were awesome. Appreciate your help. And I just want to say thank you guys for tuning into the show and this journey that we've been on for the last year. So let's get right to it. This is a, uh, this is kind of a great week for us. You know, if you're in the economic world and you're in mortgage lending and you're in real estate, you've really been fired up about this week. Why? Because every economic indicator that has come out for the most part has been exactly what we've wanted to see. And it's something that, you know, Daniel Halverson and Alex Stewart that's been on our show's co-host, we've been talking about for over a year now that was eventually going to happen. We were going to start seeing these inflation reports come down. We were going to see the core readings come down. We were going to see the job loss claims reports go up. We were going to see unemployment go up. And all of these things are happening in the job reports and job creation reports are coming down. Why is that happening? This is a tightening of the cycle. This is by design from the Federal Reserve's policy of the quantitative tightening that they do. And that tightening is brought on by raising the Fed funds rate to a point in which we keep saying go until they break something. And we still believe something is going to break on the financial market side, whether it's banking or stock market. I mean, the list goes on and on that we've talked about if you've seen any of our other episodes. But what we believe is unfolding right in front of us is that constriction that's been really caused again by the raising of the Fed funds rate is starting to really put its grasp into these economic indicators, specifically the job market. So as we take a look at this, we had the core reading of CPI come down this week. The headline came down as well. Now, was it drastic? No. I mean, as I look at it right here, it was nothing to write home about, but it was below expectations. How much below? Let's call it a smidge. It wasn't much, but the reality is because it was lower, that's actually better, better than what it was the previous month. Um, and I think there's something to be said for that because as the Federal Reserve is looking at these indicators, you know, what they're wanting to see is exactly what we're getting. And as we move into December and we get that, that pivotal PCE reading, which all signs look like that is going to be lower as well, that may cause for another Federal Reserve pause, if you may, in December. And the reason those pauses are important right now versus a rate hike is that this lag effect that's taking place right now in the market. And, and the lag effect, what I mean by the lag effect, lag effect is a situation where the Federal Reserve has raised rates so quickly that each one of those interest rate hikes need time to make their way through the system. Some could argue it takes 120 months for just one hike to make its way through the system. Well, we've done way more than one. And here we are close to about 16 months later, we're starting to see the impact of many of those compounded hikes through the system. And that impact is, you know, unfortunately it's job loss uh, because companies that need to answer to their investors on Wall Street, they have to make profit. Well, one of the quickest way to make profits is create more jobs, create new products, create new facilities, but you do that on the backbone of lower interest rates. When short-term interest rates are up and they're higher, 
that's not as popular of an ideology. So then you start looking at your expenses and say, well, what's the what's the main expense I can cut? And unfortunately, that's job employment. And the Federal Reserve likes to look at that and call that the softening of the labor market. So when you hear Powell say that at the podium, he's saying softening of the labor market is essentially meaning job loss. The other thing we're seeing in the job creation market is this is more part-time jobs than ever before by Americans. I think that speaks to the weakness of the economy because Americans are having to have dual jobs, part, you know, sometimes even just two part-time jobs, even a full-time job and a part-time job. They're having to have that because the current environment that we're in is pretty bad when you can't go to the grocery store and afford groceries, you know, car notes, housing, the list goes on that you have to get another job to help support just your daily activities. And that's what we're seeing unfold in the market right now. That's probably by, you know, all odds betters, if you may, and believe it or not, there are odds makers on what the Federal Reserve is going to do in December. Uh, I guess that goes to the notion you can bet on anything, but odds makers are saying that the Federal Reserve are probably at 100% not going to do anything but pause, um, which was at 90% just a week ago, 100% pause in February. And again, that's giving that time for that lag effect of all those rate hikes to come through the system. And that's really important um, that we kind of see how this plays out because I think if they were to hike, if you may, that could actually cause a lot more damage than good. And if they were to cut too early and evaluate you know, these further inflationary readings, because if those go up, there, there's, you know, there's a chance they could go up uh, over the next six months, especially as we start to replace some of these lower readings. If that happens, the Federal Reserve may look at, okay, do we have to do more to get the inflation number down? Because as great as the inflation numbers are right now, better than they were a year ago, let's not forget the main target of the Federal Reserve is a 2% target inflation rate on the core PCE. Well, we're, we're, we're almost double that right now. I think we're 3.7 on that. So we're not there yet. And so because of that, a lot of people argue is we're not going to get there. Some may even argue that if you take some of the, um, you know, I guess the outdate metrics that they use to calculate things, we're already at the 2%. But the reality is we're not quite there yet. So it'll be interesting to see if those continue to come down. So the bond market liked it. The mortgage markets liked it. We've seen significant drops over the course of this this time in which we're recording this and the interest rates on mortgage interest loans and the bonds as well. The 10-year treasuries come down. And this has been a win. I don't believe we've hit that cliff that we've been talking about yet. Remember that cliff we keep referring to is the disparity between the 10-year treasury and the mortgage interest rate is about 150 basis points. We even talk about that letter to Jerome Powell um, from the three major you know, adversaries of Mortgage Bankers Association, the Home Builders Association, and the uh, and NAR all advocating for, hey, we need to remove this, help us get rid of this, this, this disparity that I'm speaking of. And I think that that's to come. I also think another thing to take a look at is, you know, there's really no real-time reading for job losses, but as we record this, the initial job loss claims reports that came in, this is when people go to the unemployment line. And this comes out every Thursday morning at 8.30. This is how many people are going to the unemployment line and claiming unemployment for the very first time. And this is important because this is really one of the first real-time indicators we get of unemployment at a, at a at a real-time rate weekly. And so that was at 231,000 individuals went to the unemployment line this week to claim unemployment. It was expected to be 220. The previous week was 218. So why is that important? Well, those are big numbers, by the way. Those are really big numbers, uh, 231,000 people going to the unemployment line. But then there's continuing claims, and continuing claims comes out at the same time. That's how many people are still on unemployment. They haven't gotten off. And so typically in a market where you want to see a softening of the labor market, you're looking at these claims and saying, hey, are the claims numbers going up? Right? Are they are they moving up? More people going to unemployment. That's a softening of the labor market. And are the people that are continuing unemployment, people who haven't gone and been able to find a job while they're on unemployment, are those numbers maintaining or going up? 
And those numbers went up as well, uh, you know, to 1.865 million people on unemployment currently right now. And uh, the forecast was 1.85. So you're seeing increases in these numbers as well. And that is a softening of the labor market. Um, and I think you're going to continue to see more of that as time permits here, because a lot of the forecasts show a 40% reduction in the anticipated workforce on seasonal work. Because, you know, we're getting around that holiday season where a lot of people ramp up because their hours are, you know, they, they grow longer during the holiday season, especially for Christmas, and you get more employees. Well, the, the early signs are saying that we're not hiring people as much as we would for that. We're not hiring, you know, we're not extending just more hours to our current staff, but we're not bringing in additional staff. So I think we're going to see less job creation again in those reports going in the month of December, which in turn should favor the Federal Reserve's policy and what they're looking at here. So I think that that's important for us because we've been talking about it for so long. The rates are going to come down. Things are going to happen. We're getting to that point. It's 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 right in front of us, you know. And I'm seeing a lot of other major, um, you know, pundits and economists out there saying the Federal Reserve is getting to the point to where they're going to have to start looking at backing off of the tightening. So in the quantitative tightening, that's where they're letting a balance sheet runoff. That means every type of incoming interest payment that they're making on mortgage-backed securities they own, or excuse me, they're receiving, not making, all of the money they're making, instead of instead of reinvesting that back into the mortgage-backed securities or repumping that back into treasuries, they're letting it just run off, and they're trying to reduce the amount of debt that they have. There's a lot of people that believe that the QT portion, the quantitative time portion, is going to start turning and, and stop, essentially, and that the actual Fed funds rate, in addition to that, will start to come down in Q1. If we see that, which that is what we've been discussing here for quite some time, you can anticipate that mortgage rally that we've been talking about is going to come. And it could come late Q1. It could come Q2, which is also during that seasonality time of the mortgages. And I think that you're going to see a lot of uh, opportunities there. Yo, thank you so much for choosing us today. We're definitely not done with our podcast, but we are going to take a really short sponsor break and then we'll get right back to the show. I've been in the lending business for 20 years. I've seen many different lenders. During those 20 years, I recognized there's a difference between being an originator and an advisor. The team at Bank of England is full of advisors. They take their time to understand your needs. They take the time to structure a mortgage for you and your family. And I cannot recommend them enough. If you're in the market to purchase a home, maybe it's a second home, maybe it's an investment property, or you're looking to refinance your current property that you live in, take a minute to work with the advisors at Bank of England Mortgage. They're a nationwide lender and you can find your local branch at boemortgage.com because it's more than loans, it's people. Thanks so much for letting us give a shout out to our sponsor. All right, now back to the podcast. This might be the fifth time in 90 days I've talked about this. We did two independent episodes on this, is the national debt. Now, I know I sound like a broken record here, but this is something that I think is really important. I'm going to spend the last couple of minutes of the show on this. The national debt right now is at $33.7 trillion. 33.7. It wasn't 30 days ago. We were talking about 32 going on 33. Um, this is this is mind-boggling, and that number is jumping dramatically, and there's a lot of reasons why. Um, obviously, we have a lot of turmoil in the, in the world right now, and we're helping fund you know people that need certain things out there, but that's going towards our national debt. The other thing is this. This is where I think it gets missed and not talked about a lot, is that when you have debt— we know this as Americans. We know this as people that when we have credit card debt or we have an automobile or we have a housing note, you have to pay the debt. There's a debt payment that goes monthly with that. Well, the government's no different. They have a monthly payment that goes with that debt. Well, what interest rate is that attached to? 
it's attached directly to the Fed funds rate. So as the Fed funds rate goes up and some of this debt comes to maturity date, if you can't pay it, you have to refinance it. Well, we've got quite a bit. Matter of fact, we've got $5.2 trillion coming to maturity here in the near future in the next 90 to 120 days. You're going to have to refinance. The government's going to have to refinance that debt because they're not going to pay it. They don't have the money to pay it. That's why we have a debt. They're going to refinance it. And that means it's going to be refinanced at the current terms if this Fed funds rate does not change on one of the current treasuries that are attached to that term. That means a bigger payment than what it's currently financed on. That means we're paying more money that we don't have. So where's that money coming from? Back into the debt again. And so this is one of the reasons why the, why the U.S. treasuries were downgraded because they realized the people at S&P and the other places that are actually rating it, there's two other, um, two other systems that rate us, that that we don't have the money to pay our debt. And so that's why they're downgrading our treasuries and downgrading our securities. And so when you take a look at this, you have to say, okay, how much is that payment? This is the most shocking thing to me. That 5.2 trillion that's getting ready to come refinanced again, plus the current debt load that we have, is forecasting to be almost $700 billion per year. $700 billion a year in just interest. In just interest. That is, that is just unbelievable to think about. More importantly, that becomes one of the top three expenditures in your national budget. I mean, the budget's only at $2.1 trillion, and you're taking $700 billion in interest. That is absurd. You're going to have a deficit again because inside that $2.1 trillion is not allocated for $700 billion in interest. It's just not there. So, you know, I was having a really good uh, discussion with Alex Stewart. Or I guess it's now Dr. Alex Stewart, congratulations, uh, from the Market Distillery. And uh, we were kind of chatting it up online. And one of the things that he's pointed out is exactly what I'm saying. And our, our discussion point is at what point has the Federal Reserve handcuffed themselves to this national debt to where we've got to fix the interest rates, maybe even temporary relief, just to get these payments down so that we can refinance these debts on longer terms so that we don't have to worry about that being such a large expenditure in the national deficit. It's something to keep an eye on. It's something that hasn't met, uh, excuse me, hasn't made headwinds yet, but I, I would be willing to bet this is going to be a topic of discussion moving in the 2024 election. And it's going to be something that's going to have to be answered and accounted for. Uh, will we get those? I don't know, but I can tell you this, that plus these economic indicators of inflation, as well as job losses that are coming in, kind of bring this one point to, to, to surface. And, you know, I've been doing uh, banking and mortgages for 22 years. And I can say, unfortunately, and I mean this, unfortunately, what's good for the economy isn't necessarily good for mortgage interest rates and, and real estate that matter. What's not good for the economy is typically benefit the winners mortgage interest rates because that's that's typically how we fix and, and boost the economy's lower interest rates. So that's kind of what we're seeing happen in front of us. Um, and we'll continue to watch it, monitor it, but I wouldn't be surprised by Q1, Q2, you see a much lower rate environment, what you're in, and you see a lot of people refinancing and taking advantage of that home equity that we found out Black Knight said most people have two hundred thousand dollars, is hundred eighty nine thousand actually of of home equity that they're sitting on right now to kind of offset some of the credit card debt, to kind of offset some of the other items that we talked about. And then I'll leave with this last headline here. Wall Street Journal recently just released an article talked about the number of bankruptcies being filed specifically to the millennial generation on student loan debt. Um, and that right now there is a pass being given on that for students to file bankruptcy to avoid paying back the student loan debt that they currently own. Uh, I can understand why that's happening because there's things you have to qualify for student loan debt. Again, I think that speaks to the, how weak some of the aspects of the economy are. And also I think that they're... Um, if those continue to happen, 
that actually punishes that particular person filing that bankruptcy in the form of becoming a homeowner later on. There's rules and there's timeframes that go along with that. So that'll be interesting to see if that wave continues. It's very small right now. I think they said there was 682 already filed and approved thus far um, of, of the, the millions of people that have student loan debt, but is the trend there and something we'll continue to watch. So see you guys next time on the episode of What's Your One More. Hey, if you can't, again, check us out on Apple, check us out on Spotify, Google, Amazon, uh, five-star review this podcast, leave a comment and tune in to our YouTube channel. What's Your One More for that video Charlie's going to post on there on how to leave these reviews. Thank you again and have a happy Thanksgiving. I got one more shot, I'm gonna make it. One more chance, I'm gonna take it. I meant it when I said it, now it's time for me to do it. I got one life to live, so I put all into it, yeah.